May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know why I would have been afraid of him. I mean, he didn't look like a very scary figure. In fact, the poor chap did all he could to make himself look appealing to me. Uh, He personified happiness with his uh, white beard in his red velvety suit that he was wearing. But my mother has the picture to prove it. There I am, three years old. Terrified, horrified, tears streaming down my face, body flat out like I was being arrested at a sit-in, and trying to get away from Santa Claus um, on that uh, that morning. I mean, it's really a great picture, and you should see it sometime. Maybe my mom will bring it. When we had young children, we didn't really um, we didn't really do the Santa thing in our house. But I have to admit. When I was walking through the mall with them, I would, I would always, just, you know, with the little one, I would always want to take him and get a picture just to see if I could get the same reaction out of him. Yeah, I know it's mean, but it was really fun. Um, there's another picture that, uh, that also exists, and this one, is, um, this one is me at seven. Somehow, between three and seven, Santa and I had made up. Um, we, uh, we were on good terms with one another at seven. We had an arrangement. I would tell him what I wanted for Christmas, and somehow it would show up on Christmas morning. Except for that pony thing, you know, and I'm still a little bit upset by that one. You know, I I don't know whatever happened there. But but by and large, you know, I would tell him he would bring it. It was a great deal, and I sort of liked Santa after that. Until my brother Jeff, older brothers. If you have an older sibling, you know where I'm going with this one, don't you? Older siblings are the worst. They know everything, you know, they're always so much smarter than everybody else. And, and I remember him saying, you know he's not real, don't you? What are you talking about he's not real? I was there. I have the photos to prove it. Go ask mother. She has them. No, no, that's not what I mean. He's not real. He's not real in the way that you think he's real. Well, of course he's real, I would say. And we would be in these arguments. And then I remember him saying, okay, if he's so real... Pull his beard. Seems like an easy thing to do, right? I didn't think Santa would mind a little tug here, you know, right in the middle between. A, and, and so there I do it, you know. Um, I, I'm waiting for that picture. I don't know if my mother has it, you know, the one where I kind of pull way back and then let go, <laughs> snaps against his skin. But that's the problem, really, because if you read the gospel this morning, Thomas has a point, doesn't he? Thomas has a point. He, 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 he wants some proof. He wants some proof that this Jesus is really resurrected from the grave. Mary, she had proof just in the same chapter. A few verses earlier, Mary goes to the garden. She sees Jesus with her own eyes. She touches Jesus with her own hands. Jesus appears in a room. All the other disciples see Him. They're, they're, they're thrilled that they've seen Him, that they've witnessed Him. I think Thomas drew the short straw. He was the guy that was sent out to get the pizza. And so he's out of the room and Jesus appears. He doesn't get to see it. I kind of imagine Thomas walking back in the room with these boxes of pizza, you know. And he comes in and everybody's like, you know, like they had just seen Elvis or something. We saw him. He's alive. Who's alive? Thomas would type. Who's the Jesus. We saw him. He's alive. And I think Thomas would say something to them like, Stop it. That's a cruel joke. It's not funny. Stop fooling with me. And no, 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 seriously. We saw him. He's alive. 
And I think Thomas might have been even a little bit angry. I want to see him. If he's alive, I want to see him. When I was in college, I went to this really um, kind of conservative Christian college. Not kind of. It was very conservative. I mean, it was really strict. You know what I mean? Uh, dress codes and all that sort of thing. But in the summertime, um, to save money and to, to get through quicker, I, I went and I took, co- I took classes at this, um, at this state college. Uh, where it was really lax and, and I loved it and it was wonderful. You could do what you wanted and wear sandals and, and shorts to class. And, um, but I took philosophy at the state college, not at the conservative Christian college. I took it at the, at the really lax. And I had this guy who was a committed agnostic. He was more than that. He was a hedonist. And um, so here he was, this agnostic hedonist. And sitting right next to me was this kid who wanted to be just like our professor and all these other people. And I was the only committed Christian in this class. And we get into these arguments, these debates, and I would debate the best I could as a freshman in college, you know, trying to defend the, the faith, and, and they would hammer me. I mean, it was probably the best thing I've ever done, the best class I ever took, because it made me think, it made me argue, it helped me to, to really grapple with what it is I believe. But I remember those guys saying, but Joe, you haven't given me any reason. Give me proof. Give me some kind of thing that I can touch, I can see, I can feel. I want that. Give me that and I'll believe. It's not asking too much what Thomas asks. In fact, I'm a little angry when I read this passage. It would have helped me a lot back in college if Jesus would have just shown up in the room, right? I mean, wouldn't that have been a huge help? I could have said, look right there. See the guy in the white robe with sandals on? That's him. It would have been so much help. And so as I read through this story, I couldn't think, why in the world would John record this story this way? Why would he tell this story like this? Surely he has to know that there are people out there like me who would struggle. He has to know there are people out there who would, who would say, well, why did he do it for Thomas and not for me? He had to wonder why. I mean, Notice what Thomas says. You see, I think I look closely and I see something in here. Notice what Thomas says. He says, unless I see with my eyes, unless I touch in the wound. Actually, he doesn't say it that tenderly. The word that is used in John's Gospel in the same chapter, the very same chapter, just a few verses earlier, when Mary reaches out to touch Jesus, Jesus uses this word, hopto, don't touch me, in Greek. Don't touch me. It's it's a... It's a tender touch. It's the way we would touch a friend. It's like a, like a handshake or a pat on the back. Jesus says, don't... But that's not what Thomas says. He says, unless I bollow. This is the same word you use to throw something. Like if you had a ball in your hand and you threw it. That's not a tender touch. Unless I shove my hand up in his side, I'm not going to believe it. I want to poke my fingers down in the wounds... And see if they're real. It's the difference between the way a parent cares for a wound and the way an ER doctor cares for a wound. I mean, it's the difference between nurturing, tendering, careful, and and clinical. Uh, I remember um, when uh, my sons were younger, we we lived in Canton. And it was a real snowy day. It had been a couple, several snowy days. And and my, my oldest son was 11. So we went out to this little hill. We're going to go sledding, and and he had one of these you know cheap snowboards like you buy at a department store, and he was going to snowboard, you know. And here he is going down this hill, and and some kids a couple of days before had made a little ramp, and so the first time down, he's going to take the ramp, 
you know, which I thought was kind of fun. So I'm watching him, and he hits the ramp and's up in the air, looked pretty good, <laughs> until he landed, you know. Landing is not as easy as it looks, right? And so he lands, his, the snowboard goes out, his body goes back, he hits his head, and, and when he sits up, it looked like we had slaughtered a lamb right there on the snow. I mean, blood everywhere. And, and so, you know, mom's running over, she's putting a, a thing on his head, and we're taking him to the ER, Nurses were great, you know, they, they, they kind of shaved that little spot there in his head. And it was about a two-inch gash. It was, it was bleeding like you wouldn't believe. And, and, uh, and they put some, some topical stuff to, to numb it. And uh, real good and, and nurturing and, and gentle. And, and then the ER doctor came in. And she just kind of goes up to him and, and she takes him kind of by the head and she's touching it to, you know, to see if anything's going to react. And he didn't do anything. And... She reaches right down in her pocket. Bam, bam, bam. She pops three staples in his head about as fast as I've ever seen anything done. You know, I could not have done it, you know, drywall nailing, you know what I mean? It was boom, boom, boom. And it was done. And he was none too happy about it, let me tell you. But it was over. You know, that's the way a clinician does things. You know, this is, this is a job that needs to be done. Let's get it done. That's what Thomas wants. I want clinical, I want exact kind of, I want to shove my hand up in his side and see if that wound is real. And then Jesus appears. He appears in the room. And what does he say to Thomas? Come here, Thomas. And he uses his own words, I love this. Poke your hand in here. Here, shove your hand up in here. You want to see? You want to believe? If this is what it takes to believe, then here it is. You see, what I noticed is that Thomas tried to be an unbeliever. He wasn't trying to believe. He wants proof. But you know what? He had the ability to believe all along. Here's what I find interesting. Thomas never actually does it. There's no indication in the text that Thomas actually does what he said he had to do. The paintings have him doing it. Yeah, I think on the cover of the bulletin, you know, he looks like he's about to reach out there and do that. Was it a Rembrandt? I'm not sure. But, you know, we're out there. We're going we're gonna to see. How can Thomas believe if he doesn't have proof? Because the power of the Word is there. He could have believed the report that was given. I think inside of him, he wanted to believe. There was a sense in which belief was possible, that he actually had to fight against it. He had to militate against it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it unless I have proof. And I think maybe this text says something to us about about the fact that we can believe and about the way that, that all people can believe and about those even who seem to be the most ardent unbelievers are doing it not because they can't, but because they're resisting it. I think this text takes us back to the power of the Word. And maybe we hear echoes of St. Paul who says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. It, it can actually make you believe. Proclaiming this message can change your life. It points us back to the essence of Christianity, that the mystery of faith is that it's not our faith. It is a gift of God. That God Himself gives us the ability to believe. It's not about proof. It's about the power of the Word at work in the world. And so maybe we find that in Jesus' little cryptic statement here at the end, where He says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I always wondered if the opposite is true. Cursed are those who don't believe. 
unhappy are those who don't believe. Because it sort of seems to be my experience that it is true. Maybe, maybe the easiest thing in the world to do is to believe. And you actually have to work not to believe when the power of the gospel comes into your life. Maybe believing is like rolling downhill. The easiest thing in the world to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.